Yo, yo, everybody. Good afternoon. It's, uh, you know what? I'm not even telling you anymore. That's it. I'm not telling anyone who it is. I just said, I'm now going to be known as the man with no name, like the horse with no name, but not as annoying uh, song. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys are having a nice afternoon slash evening. And thank you so much for dropping past. And thank you so much, of course, for your continued support of the greatest philosophy conversation known to man throughout all of human history, mostly driven by the brilliance of the listener questions and the occasional spark of thought from yours truly. So I hope you're having a lovely afternoon. Welcome, of course, to, or hi, of course, to all of the lovely people out in Europe. Out in Europe. And I hope you guys are having a great evening as well. Where do we drop comments for live? Well, that would, in the desert, you can remember your name. That is an annoying song. I mean, don't get me wrong, Neil Young, an annoying guy just in general. Uh, but uh, that, that, uh, that gaslit helium voice is really, it's really something else. Philadelphia was an okay song, I suppose. Other than that, uh, it's been how long since he had uh, any kind of success in the music world? What can I, what can I say? Um, and what was it? Uh, the guy from Coldplay was saying how he started getting the song Yellow, that he was just goofing around at the microphone, making fun of Neil Young. And it was all yellow. <laughs> that's how he got that song going and that what got his 20 year career, I guess, going. But uh, yeah, that's just a little little bit of a little bit of music trivia <laughs> for you there. The Commissar is in town. Yeah, that guy. Uh, is that Falco? Rock me Amadeus guy. Was that De Commissar? Yes, I think so. Yeah, he had a pretty tragic end. An addict and died in a car crash in some tropical hellhole. Anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to remind you, uh, this is not a pitch. Not a pitch, because it's free. But you can go to almostnovel.com and justpoornovel.com to get my free novels. Really, 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 you owe it to yourself. This it's, I mean, it's great literature. It really is. And uh, if you want to know, it's funny because the difference between these two novels is about six or seven years in terms of writing. And I actually have a novel called Revolutions that it was my first, honest to goodness. Well, I, I wrote a novel when I was uh, in my late teens called The Jealous War about the First World War. And I think that exists somewhere on an Atari 520 ST disc um, somewhere in... <laughs> in my house, but uh, it was pretty good, but uh, a bit scattered. Then I tried not writing a novel about boarding school, and I got about halfway through before I ran out of uh, steam. And uh, then my first real novel was Revolutions, about Sergei Nikayev and Alexander Kirtsin, or Herzen, as it would be spelt. And it was, how do you make the world a better place? Do you go into ideology, or do you go into a family and love? These were... Uh, it's what, what I was really wrestling with, and I'm very glad that that novel helped me find the right answer. Uh, so uh, I'll probably read that as an audiobook at some point over the next year or two, because uh, I have a great affection for that. It's my first real piece of uh, good writing, I think good, solid writing and, and characterization. It's funny because I was actually in theater school when I was working on that, and one of the things that I found really helpful to unlock the characters for me, I mean, it's very obscure, but one of the things I found really helpful to unlock the characters for me was to figure out what paintings they would paint as children and then paint those paintings. Because, you know, children have different ways of expressing themselves. Painting is a very vivid way of expressing yourself. And so I tried to figure out for each character, what would they paint when they were six years old and 10 years old? And I just uh, recreated those. It really helped me get into the mindset of the characters. These are little tricks that you can use to, to unlock your uh, creativity. So 
that was a that's my little tip for you if you're an artist just try and feel figure all of that stuff out okay um so what do we got here we got a brilliant question but where is it where is the question if my experiences are part of my mind and my mind is inside my head how can i know about anything outside my head i.e my hand if i need to experience it and my experiences are only inside my head Radical subjectivism for the win. No, that's a good question. It's a a great question. It's really a foundational philosophy uh, question, right? So the foundational question of philosophy is what is true. Uh, Then the most important question. So the foundational question of philosophy is what is true. The most important question of philosophy is what is moral. Because science answers what is true. Biology, of course, answers what is true. And uh, engineering answers what is true. Is it true that this bridge will stand up? But only philosophy answers what is good what is moral, what is right in the world. And that's the differentiator. But what you're asking is a very important question because we can't know what is right until we know what is true. And there have been a bunch of romantics, uh, not the big head new, new romantics of the 80s, but romanticism is the idea that beauty and morality are conjoined. Beauty and morality are co-joined. Uh, this is the truth. All you need to know that beauty is truth and truth is beauty. And that way you can turn virtue, right? You can turn virtue into something that is aesthetic. In other words, here's something very pretty. Wow, I really experience how pretty and beautiful this thing is. Therefore, I'm a virtuous person. And the great desperate quest of philosophy, it's a false quest, but the great desperate quest of philosophy is this. Try to give people a way of feeling virtuous without angering the evildoers. This is the very, very big question. It's the false hope of philosophy, the will of the wisp, as they say in Dungeons and Dragons and ancient Irish mythology. The will of the wisp is the light that you follow, the dancing light that you follow into a swamp to your death. And everybody wants to feel good. Everyone wants to feel moral. And there's no better way to feel good than feeling moral. Everybody wants to feel good by being moral. But the problem is that being good by, uh, feeling good by being moral angers evildoers who will then try and mess up your life in pretty horrendous ways, right? So uh, the romantics said, if I weep copious tears of subjugated beauty appreciation uh, before the bust of David by Michelangelo, I have somehow contributed to the virtue of the world. And um, the statue of Michelangelo Sorry, the statue by Michelangelo of David is absolutely stunningly beautiful and huge, by the way, way larger than a person. It's a couple of times the size of a person. For sure, it's, it's big and it's beautiful and it's noble and so on. It's like uh, it, was, it was a Brad Pitt and Fight Club before that was a thing. And it's wonderful to appreciate beauty. Uh, beauty is, a, is one of the reasons we live. But it's a way of saying, when I experience something profound and positive, that's the same as, doing virtue in the, uh, as achieving virtue in the world. And it's just not true. Again, I'm not saying don't experience positive and beautiful things in the world. The aforementioned novels, which are available for free as audiobooks, ePubs, read online, do what you like. They're beautiful things. And I spent years creating those beautiful things. So creation, the creation of beautiful things, the appreciation of beautiful things, being moved to tears by beautiful things is a wonderful part of life. And nobody should forego or avoid those experiences. But by making a subjective experience which harms no, the interests of no evildoers in this world, by making that the definition of virtue, 
it turns aesthetic, aesthetic appreciation into a virtue. In other words, you get to feel like you're virtuous because you're loving the sunset. And loving the sunset doesn't harm the interests of any evil people, therefore you get to feel virtuous without any danger. And isn't that what we want? We want, you want the feeling of achievement without any danger. That's video games, there's other ways to achieve a sense of achievement without risk, right? Uh, and you, you can buy a, an artificial girlfriend to feel like you have a girlfriend without the risk of rejection or actually having to win over a woman. So getting the effects without the cause is the great addiction, right? And, and everybody is desperate for a thinker who will give them a sense of virtue without putting them in any danger. Which is why so many thinkers attack Christianity, right? It's very cowardly to attack a religion that commands its followers to love their enemies, right? There's no, there's no danger in that, right? Other religions, a little more punchy. Christianity, not so much, right? So then you get to feel like you're fighting superstition and going against irrationality and blah, 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 right? And yet you're in no danger whatsoever. Criticizing Christians is about the safest and really the most cowardly thing that you can do these days because Christians won't band together to mess up your life. And so that's one of the sort of the, the big sort of backdrop behind this. Now, so let's get back to the sort of question at hand, right? If my experiences, this uh, listener asks, if my experiences are a part of my mind, and my mind is inside my head, how can I know about anything outside my head, i.e. my hand, if I need to experience it, and my experiences are only inside my head. All right. So, first question of philosophy, what is true? Most important question of philosophy, what is moral? Most effective methodology is compared to what? If you don't have a comparison, well, it's kind of solipsistic, right? Like, if you don't have a comparison, you're not doing anything other than mental masturbation, right? So, what is true compared to what? Well, what is false? What is moral compared to what? Well, what is immoral? So if you don't have a compared to what, it's, you know, the old philosophy professor, somebody said, how's your wife? And he said, compared to what? It's an important question. If you're 80, you can be in great health relative to another 80-year-old, but you're probably not in great health relative to a 20-year-old. Compared to what? So when you say, my experience is a part of my mind and my mind is inside my head, you say, okay, compared to what? Now, without a doubt, there are some experiences that are inside your head. No question. Uh, the most common example is we all experience every day. And uh, you should really just appreciate just how incredible this is. The first example, of course, is dreaming at night. When you dream at night, you can uh, fly, you go back in time, you meet and converse with people long dead, you meet the children you never had, you don't meet the children you did have, <laughs> anything can happen. It's a real wild card, right? Anything can happen. So nightly dreams are occurring inside your head. How do we know that? Because you lie down in bed, and you get up in the same bed with no indication of travel, no soreness of muscles. You're doing things that are physically impossible in the real world. And of course, if you were to set up a camera filming yourself all night, you would see yourself lying in bed and not flying over a jungle in the Jurassic era, right? Whatever it is that you're dreaming of, right? So you know for sure that these things are occurring inside your head. Now, they don't occur solely inside your head. We don't know what the dreams would be like if somebody born blind, deaf, and dumb. I, I don't know if Helen Keller ever discussed these things, but what we see in our dreams 
is what we have experienced in the world, right? So people born in the Amazon jungle dream about the Amazon jungle, I assume, or mythologies or stories that they heard when they were younger. People born, uh, the Inuit dream of snow and igloos and whales and, you know, seals and all the polar bears and so on, right? So our dreams are a sort of scrambled up mishmash with usually moral instruction or at least instruction on authenticity assembled by our unconscious to help us guide our way through life. So they come from the empirical world, but they are not in the empirical world. So the things that occur directly inside your mind, like I mentioned the other day, I was working up north and had to sit there for an hour in the snow while someone had to go back to the tent to get some drill bits or something like that. And I went through an entire album in my mind. And I, you know, after a while, you could almost hear it clearly, if that makes sense. But of course, I knew that there wasn't any real music uh, playing. If you have uh, tinnitus, then you hear a, a high-pitched whine in your ear, but it doesn't come from any external source. Which you can test, of course, by doing recordings and asking other people if they hear it or seeing if you can see the vibrations on an oscilloscope or whatever it's going to be, right? So you have things that are subjective in your mind, and especially if you've ever experimented with something like conscious dreaming, uh, vivid dreaming, dreaming where you try to take control. My daughter's very good at that by all reports. But so if you, if, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but if, you, if there's something that there is, uh, you can take control in your dreams, then you can uh, know that it's not a totally objective thing that is going on, right? So all of that is ways that you can say, there's stuff that goes on directly in my mind, although it is derived from the external world. Like, have you ever dreamt of anything that you have never experienced, right? That's kind of a big question, right? Have you ever dreamt of anything that you have never experienced? And this is uh, something I read in, in a book, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, from many years ago, where somebody said, you know, we don't really invent anything new, we just assemble things, like a dragon is a big lizard with the wings of a bird or, some, or, or of a bat or something like that. And... You know, we see fire, we know that fire gets bigger when you blow on it, so the idea of fire breath comes from that, and, and so we don't, you know, a unicorn is just a horse with a horn on its head, you know, that kind of stuff, right? A, a mermaid is just a human, uh, usually a well, well-endowed human female with the legs and tail of a fish, so we don't really come up with anything new, we just kind of scramble and reassemble and all that kind of stuff. So there's stuff that is directly subjective to your mind, although it still comes in from the empirical outside world. And then there is stuff that is in the empirical outside world, but our experience of it is subjective, right? So there's internal, purely subjective things like dreams. And then there are objective things with subjective experiences. So if you are a, I don't know, let's see here. Yeah, okay, so you're, uh, you, you bought some lottery tickets, and you are watching the lottery ball, the power ball, or whatever it is that's going on, right? You're watching all of that. And, you know, there, there are two guys in the same room. And they both have lottery tickets, right? Now, those two guys, if one of them wins and one of them loses, they're going to have very different experiences of that, right? The guy who wins is going to be super happy that he's won. And the guy who's lost is going to experience both lost sadness, greed, and envy, right? Lost sadness because he lost, 
and uh, envy because his friend won, and greed because maybe his friend will give him some money from his winnings, right? Now, they are both experiencing the same objective thing, which is the numbers rolling off the lottery machine, right? They're both experiencing the same objective thing, but they are having opposite subjective experiences, right? So the objectivity translates into subjectivity. And then there is objectivity, so pure subjectivity, objectivity which translates into subjectivity, which is your subjective experience of objective things. And then there's objective experiences of objective things. So if you're standing out with your friend in the rain, it's raining and you're both getting wet. So that is a, an objective experience of an objective thing, right? So we've got dreams, subjective, subjective. We've got emotions, subjective, objective. And then we have sensations, so to speak, objective, objective, right? Now, you could, of course, invent scenarios where, you know, somebody's paralyzed, they have no sense of feeling and blah, blah, blah. But we're talking about the general human experience, right? So objective, objective is... If you and your friend both put your hand into the fire, into a fire, you will both experience pain and be burnt. That is, that is not a subjective experience. That's not like, yeah, I won the lottery or, oh, I'm sad I didn't win the lottery. That is an objective experience. You both put your hands into the fire, you will both experience pain, and you will both get burnt. Okay? So one, these, these are three, three broad categories, right? Subjective, subjective dreams, subjective, objective emotions, and then object, well, objective, objective sensations. Now, you may be able to consciously control your dreams. You may be able to talk yourself in and out of various emotions. And, and you know, part of maturity, part of wisdom, is learning that you can, not only you can, but you should talk yourself in and out of various emotions. Right? I mean, if you don't get something you want, then... That may be good for you, it may be bad for you. Right? It may be good for you, it may be bad for you. So when I was younger, I wanted to be an actor. And you can, of course, hear my <laughs> acting chops in my audiobook readings, the novels, right? And I'm listening back, and it's like, it's pretty good, man. It's pretty good. It's pretty passionate, pretty powerful. You know, when, I'm, when a character is crying, I weep. I mean, it's uh, pretty, pretty on, on my, especially my, it's my writing, my, my sort of passionate topics. So I wanted to be an actor. Now, for various reasons, I did not pursue that, and that was disappointing to me at the time. But it turned out to be much better for me in the long run. I won't sort of go into all the reasons. It has to do with communist takeover of the arts. Uh, it has to do with, uh, you know, like, don't, don't hire white men. It has to, like, it's a wide variety. of. It turned out to be better. And one of the things that you learn as you get older is it's really hard to tell what's good and what's bad in your life. <laughs> I mean... It's really hard to tell what's good and what's bad. Because as things play out, things can get reversed in very interesting ways. Uh, women who, all the women where either they said no to going out with me or the relationship didn't work out. And usually, uh, usually, I, mean, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, it's just a factual statement. Not that you can verify it, but you can trust me or not, I suppose. But usually it was me who was breaking up. So there was something that the relationship that wasn't working for me. So all the women who said no to me and all the women I broke up with led me to my wife. Now, if a woman said no to me, if I'd asked her out, she'd say no to me, that felt bad. The breakups weren't fun. But they were fantastic. 
in hindsight, right? So, so you can talk yourself in and out of emotions. You can say, if, if a woman says no to you, you can say, that means I'm not worth as much. Or you can say, that means she doesn't appreciate value. And each one of those interpretations is going to give you a different emotional experience. So you can, if you can consciously control your dreams, you can direct them. And some people are pretty good at this. Again, my daughter says that she's very good at it, and I believe her. And you can talk yourself in and out of emotions to some degree. But you cannot talk yourself in and out of sensations. In other words, you can't put your hand and keep your hand in a fire, assuming that your nervous system is operational, and not experience pain and burning. You can be criticized by somebody, and, and you can be criticized by very powerful people, and you can say, this means I'm bad, or you can say, this means that power is corrupt. Right? So you can change your dreams, and your dreams, dreams will change anyway, right? And you can also change your dreams through self-knowledge. I used to have, as I mentioned before, I used to have these dreams where a giant wave would, would hit me, like a tsunami 200 feet high would hit me and smash me apart. I remember once my arm got ripped off and went flying like a leg of lamb out into the water. And then there would be this stillness. And once I accepted the power of philosophy, those dreams stopped. I used to have dreams, which I think most people do, about going to a university, taking a class, never really going it being too late to drop, never wanting to go and find out how far I was behind, never really figuring out whether the exam was or where the exam was, and, you know, just those feelings of, of unease, right? But once I really took on the major and important intellectual fights in the world, which was the exam, <laughs> can I be good, then those dreams went away. So you can, you can even alter your dreams through a process of self-knowledge and accepting things. Dreams present you the consequences of that which is unacceptable to you and, and you just have to open your mind to be more acceptable of things and more accepting of things and the dreams will will change so you can obviously change your subjective experiences you can also not dream by staying awake all night right and you don't have the dreams at all so you can you have control to some degree in an indirect usually in an indirect way over your nightly dreams you have some control over your emotions and you can see this, of course, with people, uh, with religious people, very religious people whose child dies. It's such an unbelievably awful thing, of course, for, for any parent to go through. And the way that some of the religious people deal with is, my child is now with God and we will meet again. She's looking down on me from on high and she wants me to have a happy life. And that is a way of reframing the death of a child that, you know, God called her home, God had other plans, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to say blah, blah, blah. That's a very disrespectful way to talk about such deep and abiding grief. I, I'm sorry for that. That was flippant. But that is a reframing where they, they then experience sorrow rather than shock, horror, grief, and rage. And, and sorrow may be a better way of easing themselves into the next phase of their life. So, and, and you can see this reframing happening all the time. All the time, this reframing is happening. Uh, there was an article that came out recently said uh, in divorce it's not necessarily a failure it can be viewed as a success and it's like no no it's a failure all, all of the relationships like the romantic relationships that I had that ended were all failures because the goal of getting into the relationship was 
to have it not end, right? It, it wasn't like I went in saying, oh, this is only going to last three months and then we're going to have a breakup or whatever, right? As always, you go in with optimism. So you can have indirect control over your dreams. You can have some control over your emotional responses, but you cannot have control. You have no control over your sensations. Now, again, your sensations, you might be able to manage, right? There's psychological approaches to pain management if you have chronic pain where you can find ways to distract yourself from it or, or uh, deal with it in some manner or whatever. And you have some, but you cannot, you cannot directly control sensations and you cannot directly control the effects of that which is outside your mind. Right, so if, like me, you're half Irish, half German, if you spend the entire day out in the sunshine without any sunscreen, you're going to get a, I'm going to get a sunburn. I'm going to get a sunburn. I can't control that. I can't will that to not happen. Right, if, if you drop an anvil on your foot, it's going to mash your toes. It's going to break your skin. It's going to hurt your foot. You, you can't. Now, you might be able to manage the pain and all associated with that and so on, but you, you cannot control the physical effects of objective reality. You cannot control the physical effects of objective reality. You can avoid them, like I can stay in the shade, I can wear sunscreen, blah, 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 I've got this big old tilly hat to keep the sun off my head and neck. So that's, I think, a really important thing to understand. Nature to be commanded must be obeyed. This used to be common knowledge, but in radical subjectivism these days, which is also known as a hyper-female perspective, because men, women can control resources through their emotions, but men have to, we have to use our bodies to control resources. Because women can get resources by crying, women can get resources by complaining, women can get resources by nagging, women can get resources by being physically attractive or, or offering up sex or, or romance or the illusion of love for some people. Like, so women can get resources through their emotions, so women's perspective on the world tends to be less objective. And there's nothing wrong with that, it's simply a reality of the world that they live in, but... You know, everybody walks around a crying man. Everybody stops to help a crying woman, right? Men, we, we have to deal with objective reality to get the resources that we provide to women and children. So we just have to be focused on a stronger delineation. So for women, the first, right, subjective, subjective is important. The second, subjective, objective is important. But the third, objective, objective is less relevant. It's not unimportant because they have to know whether they got the resources or not, but it's just less relevant. Whereas for men, in general, uh, subjective, subjective is less important Subjective objective is somewhat important and objective objective is super important, right? That's just the reality of, of how these things go. It's just the facts of the matter. And you, you have to learn to love this difference if you're going to be married to a woman, if you're going to have a woman in your life. You have to just learn to love this difference, right? The sensitivity that women have to the emotional space is a beautiful thing. The rationality that men have to the Objective space is a beautiful thing. So how do you know? How do you know what is coming in from outside your mind? And how do you know what is within your mind? Well, can, can you control it? Can you control it? I don't know if you ever did this. So I, I grew up as a kid. I was, I, was in this, I was born in 66. So I grew up as a kid in the 70s. And the 70s was going through a crazy mystical time. Like, really crazy, mystical time. Uh, Alan Parsons makes fun of this in one of his albums. Uh, and the Mayan 
panoramas on my pyramid pajamas haven't solved my little problem, you know, like, and it's, it was a really subjective time. And, you know, massive, like mystical UFOs, not like rational UFOs. And let me just get the lyrics for this because the song is, is kind of interesting and it's sung in a kind of girly falsetto. Uh, the, the Mayan, the, let me just get these lyrics. I won't sing it to you that high because I can't, right? In panoramas on my, it's, in, it's on the album Pyramid, um, but it's been a while. It's a really, really good album. Oh, yes, that's right. You have got me into a song. Yeah, I got some, I got some philosophy from Alan Parsons. Oh, yeah, Pyromania. There are pyramids in my head. There's one underneath my bed, and my lady's getting cranky. Every possible location has a simple explanation, and it isn't hanky-panky. I have read somewhere in a book, they improve all your food and your wine. It is said that everything you grow in your garden would taste pretty fine. Instead, all they ever get is a pain in the neck and a yap, 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 yap. I've consulted all the sages I could find in the yellow pages, but there aren't many of them, and the Mayan panoramas on my pyramid pajamas haven't helped my little problem. I've been told by someone in the know... I've been told someone in the know can be sure that his luck is as good as gold. Money in the bank and you don't even pay for it if you fold a dollar in the shape of the pyramid that's printed on the back. It's no lie. You can keep the edge of a razor as sharp as an eagle's eye. You can grow a hedge that is vertically straight over 10 feet high. All you need is a pyramid and just a little luck. I have read somewhere in a book they improve all your food and wine. And I've been told someone in the know can be sure of his good luck. And it's no lie. All you really need is a little bit of pyramidic help. And it's a really good song. Uh, I mean, musically, it's not great, but it's really clever because it's somebody who's fallen into this. I can remember reading this stuff when I was a kid about, uh, oh, yeah, you can keep a razor sharp. You just put it under a pyramid and it'll keep the razor sharp like it was really. And telekinesis. I was actually in the newspaper as uh, when I was 13. I was in the newspaper for bending spoons with my mind. And I really got into this stuff. And I remember lying in my bed experimenting with telekinesis. My very first 45 record was 10 cc's, uh, the things we do for love. And at the end of it, that's just endless, like, repeat and fade. Things we do for love, things we do for love. And it just went on and on. And I, it really bothered me that it went on for so long. It was like, guys, kind of lazy. Just write another verse for God's sakes. And I remember lying in my bed trying to lift up the needle with my brain. I don't know if you tried any of this, but I was curious, right? This is what was out there in the world. All of this Urigella mind-bending telekinesis nonsense. And I, you know, I gave it a good old college try. I wanted to see if it worked. Of course, I'm an empiricist, right? This is what they say works. I'm going to see if it works. I remember reading about how you could do this and that and the other to summon ghosts. And I did this, that and the other to summon ghosts. And I really, really gave it a good old shot. And uh, of course, none of it. None of it ever worked, right? None of it ever worked. There's a winery in BC that ages wine in a pyramid. You know, that's funny because it's before Christ, BC, but here you mean British Columbia, of course, right? So you, you give the, I mean, if everyone around you, or if a lot of people around you are talking about all of these wonderful things that the mind can do, and, you know, I, I listened to and to some degree believed this complete nonsense that you only use 5% of your mind, you only use 10% of your brain. It's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Um, it's like saying, you know, uh, somebody, who's, somebody who's curling weights is only using 3% of their muscles. It's like, well, yeah, but 
you can't use all your muscles at the same time. That's called some a stroke or, a, or some sort of epilepsy. You can't use all your muscles at the same time. And of course, all your brain doesn't light up at the same time. How ridiculous would that be? So, can you affect it out there in the world? The other thing, of course, that you know is that do things occur without you being there? So, if you go from one room to the other, and then you go back, you go from your bedroom to your bathroom. And then you go from your bathroom back to your bedroom. Okay. So, the bedroom isn't visible to you when you are not in the bedroom, but then you can go back to it and it's still there. That's independent of your thoughts. Whereas, of course, in dreams, right, you leave your bed in dreams, you go to the bathroom, you come back, and it's a, a pit of lava or a geyser or the back of a dragon or some nonsense, right? Oh, usually it's not nonsense in dreams, but you know what I mean, right? So, can you will leaving your bathroom, sorry, can you will getting out of bed in the morning, going to the bathroom, and coming back in it no longer being your bedroom? Can you will that? Can you, can you will that? Now, if you have a bad dream and you wake up frightened and then you go to the bathroom and you think about your dream and you figure out what it's about and it gives you a sense of relief, so you can leave your bedroom frightened and you can re-enter your bedroom calmer. If, if you're waiting for a text from a girl you like and you wake up in the morning and you check your phone and she hasn't texted you, you go to the bathroom and on the bathroom you see that she suddenly texts you and says she'd love to meet for coffee and your spirits go up. So when you wake up, you're unhappy, you go to the bathroom and then you return to your bedroom and you're happy, right? So you, that, that, that's how you know it's subjective. But there's no way to leave your bedroom, go to your bathroom, return to the place you came from and have it not be your bedroom. Now, again, I know you're all coming up with, what if you've got shells and it's destroyed? You, you know what I'm saying, right? Absent any significant intervention. You can't control that. Right? You cannot control. Like, you can choose to jump off a building, but you can't choose. If you jump off a building, you can't choose to not fall. Like Flintstones. There's two T's in Flintstones. Remember that. Anyway, Flintstones, notwithstanding, right? So how you know the things that are not part of your brain is they're universal, they're objective, they're not under your control, they occur independent of your consciousness, and they contain information that you don't have. This is how you know somebody else is real, right? I was talking to my daughter the other day about the call that I had where somebody said, what would it take for you to believe in God? And I said, well, some sort of empirical evidence, right? And so I said to my daughter, I said, so what, what empirical evidence would I need to believe in God? And it's like, she, she blows my mind because she didn't, didn't skip a beat. Just 13, didn't skip a beat. And she said, well, God would need to give you information that you didn't have. And I said, yeah, now that would be pretty strong proof. What would be absolute proof? Oh, if God gave you information that nobody else had. Yep, boom, right, right there. Right there. Right there. So, trying to figure out what is real and what is objective is actually fairly simple. And, of course, it's reinforced by every piece of sense data that you have. Now, my guess is, you know, just to get psychological for a second, my guess is raised by a single mother, had a lot of women around, and, you know, women, women can use their emotions to get resources, and men can't. We have to use our hands. We can't just use our attributes, or <laughs> whatever you want to call it, right? We have to actually use our hands, right? That's, uh, women are human being, right? Men are human doing. So I hope that makes some sense. I hope that that, uh, well, actually, I know it makes sense, but I hope that's pretty, pretty clear. 
and uh, this doesn't have to be a text-based uh, thing. But uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to join in in text, oh, we do have somebody who wants to talk. I am more than happy to hear, my friend. What's on your mind? Sorry for the long thing, but you've got to unmute. You got to unmute, my friend. Yeah. Uh, I probably put him to sleep. Ah, I shouldn't scorn myself. That was a great explanation. A great explanation. All right. If there's anybody else who wants to talk, AA. Oh, did I not click allow to speak? I thought I did. AA, uh, if you want to unmute, I'm happy to hear. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead, my friend. What's up? Oh, great. Okay. I want to say first, Stefan, uh, love your love your stuff. I've been following you for. Uh, I don't know how many years, several years, you really enlightened me in, in several different subjects and taught me how to reason. So I really appreciate all that. Thank you. Sure. So what I wanted to ask uh, is, so well, one thing on the topic you just mentioned, have you ever heard of Rupert Sheldrake uh, and, and Morphic Resonance? I have not. Okay. He he like wrote a book, The Sense of Being Stared At, and he goes into... Uh, you know, science of why it's a real phenomena. Uh, I'm not, you know, really certain if it's true or not, but. Oh, do you mean that serious. like you think someone's looking at you or someone's watching you? And yes. then I definitely had that more when I had a channel on YouTube. Boom. Just kidding. Just a little deplatforming joke for you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I there think you, you do get that sense, right? And, and I had aunts who would say, if you'd got a body chill, they'd say, oh, that's a goose walking over your grave. And it's like, yes. what? That's so freaky. I don't even <laughs> you stop, you freaky Irish <laughs> bog trotters. Right? So, no, it is. It is This stuff was all around when I was a kid. This like low-level rank superstition. My mom was really into this mystical, psychic stuff. And, and yeah, it was crazy, crazy stuff. Anyway, go on. Sure. So, um, I guess, do you think that could be? I mean, it's, I guess there has to be I have a, you know, empirical proof of that, but... Uh, that and then also like you think of somebody and they call you and, and, and things of that nature. Um, okay, no, these are, these are good things, right? These are really, really great questions. And, you know, for those, of, I mean, sure you know statistics about as well as I do, which is, you know, middling. But we, we are, you know, we look for these kinds of patterns, right? Obviously, we look for these kinds of patterns. And we look, we look for these exceptions to these patterns, right? So if you are uh, walking in the woods and you're looking for food and then you come across a, a bush with edible berries, you will remember that because that's the exception to there not being a bush with edible berries and it's an exception that helps you and so on. And so you do hear these stories, you know, oh, I had a sudden premonition that my, my sister was, 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 was hurt and I called and she was in a car crash. You, I mean, you do hear these kinds of stories. Now... Uh, first of all, my first assumption is that people are lying. They're trying to make themselves see. You got to remember, there are very, there aren't that many people in the world who are genuinely interesting and who have something original to offer. Now, I, I think everyone has that potential, but most people are sort of ground down into subservient, powder-based propaganda and bots, and they don't. So, so how do you make yourself different? How do you make yourself interesting? <gasps> I have psychic phenomena. That's a particularly uh, big one for for women, right? Uh, what do you have to offer? Are you wise? Yeah. Are you learned? Are you are you great conversationalist? Are you funny? No. But once <laughs> I had a premonition that my cat was unwell and I rushed home and yes, it turns out my cat was trapped in the hood, right? Okay, so what? Right? That That's supposed to make you interesting because you might cross over to another dimension, another realm. So a lot of people are just trying to find ways to be interesting in this world and... That's one way. So I assume that it's not true. But of course, even if it is true, which we have no way of verifying, right? But even if it is true, so what? It's like the people who say, wow, you know, I dreamt 
that a black cat jumped up on me and that very next day a black cat jumped up on me. Yes, statistically you would expect that to happen probably a dozen times over the course of your life, that you dream about something very specific and it happens the next day. Of course, what it doesn't explain is all the times you dream of a black cat jumping up on you and nothing happens the next day, right? So, or, or the times where you're worried about someone, you call and they say, no, no, I'm fine. Or you don't act on it and you just kind of forget about it, right? So the one, you know, women, of course, are on a constant low rate state of, of alarm about everyone, right? Like, I mean, if they get a phone call in the middle of the night, it's like, who died, <laughs> right? I mean, because you know, they, they take care of, of the ill and, and the dying and all of that. And uh, women have this, you know, completely legitimate to our evolution, low rent paranoia about everything. And uh, sure. uh, that's just why we're alive. I, I don't complain about it. I think it's, it's a good thing. Sure. But uh, so, so they're constantly worried about people and they're constantly having negative thoughts about bad things that could happen to people. And, you know, almost every single time those things turn out to be false. But of course, the one time they have the bad thought and it turns out to be true, they're like, oh, goosebumps, you know? <laughs> and, and so yeah. you, would, you would simply have to do this in some measurable, reliable way. Right. And, and there have okay. been, you know, there have been so many tests. You know, I, I remember I had a girlfriend when I was young who, who tried to pull this, you know, I, I have intuition. I have, you know, I have these phenomena. I'm, I'm just able to understand things, blah, blah, blah. Right. And although she was thunderously pretty, um, I just wasn't, you know, I said, oh, my gosh, you know, the amazing Randy has had a million dollars set aside for anyone who can prove psychic phenomenon. Let's head down to Vegas and let's take the test, you know, and we'll split the money. And she's like, it doesn't work that way. It's like, OK, so the moment you, the moment you try and put any kind of test in, it suddenly mysteriously doesn't work that way. No, right? of course. You can't you can't just will it. Yeah. It just happens, you know, yeah. it's, it's well, a it's, premonition yeah, I, epilepsy. Sorry. Um, but that was that was before we got on the other topic. That's what I just wanted to ask you. What what? is wrong with women and what i mean is like for example, their, their biological function is to reproduce and they fail at that so miserably they wait until their 30s or they become single mothers or they have sex with the worst man possible and by chance if they do get pregnant when they're actually fertile and not going to have an autistic child they abort the child what how have women failed so miserably at the one biological imperative they have in life and you know what are you like, are I'm, you comparing I'm this married. to all of the men who are reproducing these days or are you are you just singling out the ladies well i mean uh, it seems like a lot of you know i remember i've read a newspaper article recently there's uh, uh in in tennessee there's three three black guys that have had 100 kids between them do you have uh, any with kids? all these different single mothers Yes, I have two children, and Fantastic. I'm going to have as many as I can. Beautiful. Okay, yes, just, so I, just, I just wanted to dip into that possible hypocrisy <laughs> pool, but you passed that with a gold medal, so good for you. Congratulations. Well, you know, I understand. Yes, listen, I, and trust me, it's 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 a huge sacrifice. It costs a ton of money. I mean, there's stuff I'd love to do that I can't because I have children. It's just, you know, it's more difficult, time-consuming, yeah, you know but I love like my you, children. You start your day, you know, cleaning out a duck cage. It's like, yeah. Yes. This is, is hybrid well, philosophy yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah. Every day, my, my one and a half year old wakes me up and he puts a book on me and he sits next to me and wants me to read to him, which is adorable, even though it's sleep depriving. I do it every day. So, <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. Although sometimes it's tough at the moment, you know you're going to hate it when she doesn't do that anymore or he, right? So, yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. That's what I always remind myself. They grow up pretty quick. So, yeah, I do have two kids. Uh, well, actually, I have one. The other one's due in two weeks, and we want to have as many as we can. So, Congratulations. Uh, that's wonderful. Did, you've you've you. already outkitted me, so good for you. I'm the hypocrite okay. here, I guess. Okay, so so sure. I'll, I'll give you – first of all, we don't want to say all women, right? So I understand that. Right? I mean, I know you're just using that in yeah. a colloquial way. I know. Okay, yeah. so – 
there's tall Asian people, but not, you know, there's the average Asian school. <laughs> can you, okay, let me, let me ask you this. If, okay. you're a, if you're a woman, can you survive in child raising without the approval of the tribe? Can you survive in child raising without the approval of the tribe? Right. In other words, um, if you are, if, if all the other women hate you, or or you're rejected, or you know, scorned, or whatever, can you survive? If you want, if having kids, not. or if you want to have kids, no, probably not, because you need resources. If you don't have a man, or or I guess in general, yeah. You, well, you have no, to have even if you have other women. Father. Because the men are okay. off hunting or fighting or whatever, and a lot of times your, your man might die in the hunt or in the fight, so you need the support of other women to raise your children, right? This whole thing, like it sure. takes a village to raise a kid. There's, I mean, there, even though it came out of a Clinton, uh, it, yeah. there's, some, there's some truth in it, you know, whether, whether we like it or not. I, I think what she meant to say was it takes a village to satisfy my husband, but that's probably another, another story. <laughs> so, so for women, reproduction is second to approval. Right, because you can survive with approval yourself, and you can survive and have kids if you're approved of, but you cannot have kids and survive if you are disapproved of, which is why women tend to be very susceptible to disapproval. It's, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. built-in biological anxiety, you know, like, oh, everyone has this fear of heights and snakes and spiders and it's like well yeah because they can kill you right so it's not really a very rational fear right so for women the the need for social approval is even higher than the need to reproduce because reproduction is worse than useless without social approval because it means you've got kids you're bonded with them you can't survive on your own you're rejected by the tribe you're rejected by women they won't get you resources they won't take care of your kids they'll let them walk off cliffs they'll let them play with snakes Right. Because you can't be everywhere at once. And, you know, women had a lot of kids throughout history because they had to play the law of averages. Right. So. So for women, conformity is greater than the need to reproduce. The need to be approved of is greater than the need to reproduce. Now, of course, for men, I mean, you and I know this as men and and, um, some women do. Right. Again, we're just talking averages. But you and I as men know that for us to survive, we got to piss people off. (laughs) <laughs> we have to be, we have to be pretty comfortable with pissing people off. I mean, theoretically, one day I might annoy someone if we just look at, you know, law of averages, right? So, no, we, because it, we have to compete with other men for the, for the top quality females. We have to fight other men because it's win-lose, right? And, and, some, and, and we also, if we get the rabbit and bring it home, our neighbor, the man, does not get that rabbit and bring it home, right? So for men, it's win-lose. And so we have to be comfortable with annoying the living crap out of, out of other people. Now, we've got to play the game, right? So you don't want to annoy it to the point where, you know, like in, in Vietnam, like where they just frag their officers. Like, you don't want to be that guy. So you don't want to annoy people to the point where they'll kill you or, or you know, bash your head and wound you or whatever. You don't want to create a gang of enemies, but for a man to succeed, you must be comfortable with being disapproved of, which is why a lot of men have become like these soy-based life forms because they're raised by women and mentored by women and taught by women. And so they get this whole conformity thing going on, whereas the whole point of uh, a dad and, and of masculinity and masculine imperatives is approval is, is not a good thing for men. <laughs> to be approved of is not a good thing. Because in order to win the best woman, you have to get extra resources, which means annoying the living crap out of other men. 
And you want, and, and so to be approved of by the woman, you have to annoy the other men. And if you're a very high quality male and you choose a woman, that annoys all the other women. So for a man, being comfortable with disapproval is essential for success. Whereas for a woman, being incredibly uncomfortable with disapproval is the path to success. Does that make sense? Oh, I agree. That's that's a great explanation. Okay, so um, I mean, I, I've never thought of it in that direct yeah, so way. Yeah, so to tie what, it together what, with what why the women aren't reproducing, um, if a woman is subjected to enough propaganda that says she will be disapproved of for reproducing, she's a bad tribal member for reproducing, she will be rejected by society for reproducing, and reproducing is is two two levels. The first level is having a child, and the second is staying home and being a mother. Right, so, so this, the state is, is okay relatively with a, a mother who has a kid and then puts the kid in a government-run daycare because then the government can imprint on the kid and, and tell the kid what, you know, it, it can destroy the culture, it can disrupt the transmission of values and virtues and you know, then the, the kid will bond with the state and not the mother. So, so this is why you have, you have two waves of antinatalism. There's antinatalism and anti-culture. So the antinatalism is the basic, and it's unfortunately just aimed at a lot of white women, right? So it's, it's you know, don't have kids, it's bad for the environment, it's selfish, it produces a patriarchal racist society, blah, blah, blah. And in particular, this is pointed out at men, right? There was some, some little short film or ad or something with Sarah Silverman, and she comes up to a mother, the mother says, I've had a boy, and Sarah Silverman says, oh, I'm so sorry, right? Oh, that's so terrible, right? Um, because, you know, boys are less convenient to those in power because we're comfortable with being disapproved of, and therefore we can be leadership competitors to those in charge of things, right? So the, the first level is don't have kids at all. The second level is, okay, if you have kids, at least don't transmit the cultural values that you inherited so that we can control the new normal, right? Which is where there's a lot of this... I mean, this leftist stuff is coming out of daycare. It's coming out of the uh, trauma that uh, kids of single mothers go through, both in terms of the absence of the fathers and the presence of non-bonded male, males in the household, which raises the chances of abuse over 30 times, and in particular sexual abuse. This is where all this grooming stuff is coming from. It's just the wide prevalence of sexual abuse in modern fatherless culture and so on. So for women, if, if they genuinely believe that other women will scorn and reject them for staying home with their children, they are biologically programmed to please other women and to please those in authority. And so if they're told by everyone either don't have kids or if you do have kids staying home and being a mother is just being a dull-witted brood mare you know like you hear these things all the time I used to hear this when I was on Twitter and I talk about the joys of being a, a parent and encourage women to have kids it's like oh I don't want to just be a brood mare and it's like okay but enough about your relationship with your mother or what you think of your mother just view her as a brood mare oh, god what kind of horrible mother did you have right so uh, it's not that women are broken at all it's that women have instincts that in a free society, in a, in a stateless society in particular, but in a free society, those instincts were very healthy. But in a statist society, those instincts get turned against us. The problem is not women, the problem is the state. I made this case the other day in, in a show. The, getting mad at women for the effects of the state is like getting mad at a slave for being, quote, lazy, right? It's like, well, no, the system is entirely wrong. The incentives are entirely wrong. Women's vulnerability has been shored up by the state. Women don't need to seek a protector 
because the government will give them money, the government will give them health care, the government will give them daycare, the government will give them, quote, free education, the government will give them old age pensions, the government will give them food stamps and subsidized housing and like you name it, right? So the government is ripping resources from men, giving it to women, so women don't need men as much in the same way that, you know, pornography and things like that are, are taking away men's need for women and it's just, just terrible, terrible all around, right? So getting mad at women for the corruption of the state is, is, is wrong. It's like, it's like saying that someone's drafted is, is, a, is, a, is a coward because they don't feel like fighting. It's like, well, they're being forced to. So we have to look at our sisters who are, and of course, a lot of propaganda really gets focused heavily on, on women, right? Because, and not because they're weak-willed, but just because evolutionarily speaking, they're more susceptible to propaganda because they need the approval of those around them in order to survive. So they're programmed to... Uh, be a little bit more compliant and a little bit more, a little bit higher in the psychological trait called agreeableness. Men are low in agreeableness. Yes. Women are high in agreeableness. And that's, a one, that's how we evolved. It's perfectly wonderful for our society. But you put the state in there and uh, it, it messes everything up. But then getting mad at women for all of that, I don't know. It just seems uh, like you're kind of missing. Uh, I don't know if you are mad about it. You wanted an explanation more than a blame. But I think sure. you're kind of missing, um, missing the enemy, so to speak, if that makes sense. Well, uh, but isn't it? I guess do we get mad at the lefty, the the leftoid bug men that allowed the state to become uh, large enough to where then women, you know, women get the vote and then they vote for this leftist nonsense that destroys families and, and society. Like no, where do so, we? No, no, hang I mean, on. But, but hang on. Idea, so. uh, as a man, sure. are we are we programmed to please women as men? Uh, absolutely. Right. 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 So, I mean, you know, in America, uh, was it Wisconsin, I think, gave women the vote pretty early on. And do you know why? Uh, no, I do not. Because there weren't many women there. <laughs> and they wanted to attract more <laughs> women to come to the state. Huh. Right. It's just about getting your stick wet. Right. That's, that's, that's what it's about. Right. So men are programmed to please women. And if women say we want the vote, asking men to say no to that is virtually impossible. Because men who did not please women did not get to reproduce, and women hold the reins. And the more complex the society, right, and the higher the average IQ of its inhabitants, the more men are dependent upon women's approval. Because women need to really be engaged and involved in raising the kids. So again, the problem is not women. The problem is the state. You know, if, if you want to know the solution to hypergamy is Bitcoin. The solution to hypergamy is Bitcoin, because if governments cannot create resources out of thin air, you know, and to take a sort of ridiculous way of putting it, you know, women are used to stamping their feet and getting resources, because 40% of men throughout human history didn't even reproduce. So if you didn't please a woman, your genes died out. So all, all the genes of the men who are like, I just say no to women all the time, right? And this is another reason why men, uh, why the state doesn't like happy marriages, because a happily married man can say no to women. Because he's already got one. He's already got a great woman. Don't, don't, I don't want another woman. I can't be with, to be with my wife until the day we, we die, right? So, so men are programmed to please women, and women, women say, we want the vote, right? I mean, you know the white feathers out of the World War I, right? That women would walk around to young men of enlisted age, not in uniform, and hand out white feathers of cowardice. And this shamed millions of men to go and fight in a stupid war that killed 10 million people for no purpose other than creating the groundwork for the Second World War when it happened all over again. So you can, you can literally kill a man with a small white feather. And, and the reason for that, of course, just statistics, right, is if 90% if, if of women won't sleep, won't, won't raise your children if you don't go to war, but if you go to war, 
and you only have a 50% chance of getting injured, then you're 40% up, right? In terms of reproduction. So your genes say, okay, if women won't, if women won't approve of me, if I don't go fight this war, I have more chance of reproducing if I go and fight the war than if I stay home. So we go fight the war. That's what our genes tell us to do. Now you can say, well, that's stupid. Why would you be killed by a feather? It's like, well, but how we fought, right? So crypto, Bitcoin, limited currency solves because you can't print money out of thin air and, and buy people's votes and, and all that. So I'll buy women's votes and so on. And, you know, everybody knows that when women get the vote, social spending and debt goes through the roof, right? Because uh, women are just used to either enticing or complaining into getting resources, enticing when they're young and more sexually attractive and then often nagging when they get older. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with this. How we evolved. You know, men are as women chose them and women are to a large degree, not quite as much because women choose more as men chose them. You know, why, why are there very few bald women? Because men wouldn't sleep with a bald woman. Why are there bald men? Because women will sleep with a bald man, <laughs> right? So, so that's why, that's why they, they are, right? We are as each other chose them. Why aren't women as physically strong as men? Because men didn't choose women that physically strong. And so we are just a reflection of each other's choices. And we're in this crazy world. It's a psychotic world of artificial resources, right? Art, made up currency, made up money, infinite debt, right? So we're in this truly psychotic world of infinite resources. And when people believe that they're in a situation of infinite resources, reason, economics, morality, these are all sort of limited re If you knew that you were completely invulnerable and would live forever, you wouldn't take care of your health. You'd take up extreme sports. Like, people go crazy when they believe they're in a situation of infinite resources and invulnerability. And... You know, this is nature balances out, right? So in the tropics, there are more resources, like your coconuts year-round, fish year-round, you name it year-round. But, uh, you know, way more viruses and, and illnesses and diseases because the winter doesn't kill off the bacteria and the viruses. So it, you know, balances out, right? And so, yeah, I just say getting mad at, at women for what the state is doing to them. You know, it, it's, like, it's like getting mad at a lion for being neurotic when it's locked in a small cage for 20 years. It's like, it, the problem is the cage, not the lion, if that makes sense. What, what advice would you give? Like, I've already found a woman, you know, and that's, and she was not like, she was, she was kind of center. She was from Poland, funny enough, like born and raised in Poland, but she only wanted a couple kids, but now we're together. She wants a bunch of kids like I do. And, and she's fully on board, but I have a lot of male uh, employees of mine and also friends who cannot find a woman that, you know, I mean, they're all just, especially in America, lefty insane. What advice would you give to men in order to kind of pull them out of the indoctrination the state has put them through to, you know, to back to the natural state of things. Well, let's respect India. Yeah, respect India. I'm sorry, what's that? Respect India. So, respect you know, India. so in India, you know the dot on the forehead for Indian women? You've seen that? Okay. Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do not. Oh, so in India, women put a red dot on their forehead. Hit me in the comments if you know yeah, why. If you know why women put the red dot on their forehead in India, I do know why. It's uh, it's part of the dowry. When when the man marries her, he scratches it off and finds out whether he's won a convenience store or a hotel. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it's to um, it's to show that they're married, right? Okay. Right. So so the and that's to show and that's and that's so that men don't waste resources pursuing a woman who's already married, right? 
I mean, the ring is the same, used to be the same in, in Western society, right? The woman wears the ring, the man wears the ring, oh, they're married, and therefore you don't waste time pursuing a woman, someone who's married, right? And so, Interesting. Okay. So, so, the, the, so you need markers for people that you shouldn't date, right? Well, uh, flaming red hair or pink hair is one sign you shouldn't date a woman that has that. Yeah, yeah, you've got a lot of tattoos. You know, you've, you've got that weird side-swept hairdo. You've got a Karen hairdo. Uh, you've got uh, blue hair. You've got that weird anime Amy Winehouse makeup. You've got, you know, uh, pronouns, whatever, right? I mean, these are just clear signs. Like, society is incredibly convenient these days because when women were better at hiding their craziness, you might marry someone, turn out to be crazy. You wouldn't have any advance warning. But now women are just like, they're right up front. I'm nuts. Right? Liberal women, as you know, like unbelievable amounts of mental health issues, like diagnosed with mental health, health issues multiple times more than conservative women, than, than, than Republican or right-leaning women, right? And uh, you, you see, you know, if, if you go on the bios of like the hard leftists and so on, it's like, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, <laughs> you know, multiple personality disorder, you know, uh, uh, d dysphoria, d dysthymia, like it's, it's, uh, it's just a big catalog of mental health issues. So in India, the women have the red dot and, and in the West, they have the hammer and sickle. They're both red, right? It's perfect. It's perfect. It's, you, you need the move along thing. You need the, okay, move along, right? move along. You know, it's kind of like um, if, there, if there aren't a lot of parking spaces, you, ever, you have this. Everyone who drives has this, right? You're like, you're desperate for a parking space, you know, you got to pee or whatever it is. Your kids are crying. You're desperate for a parking space and, oh, good, there's a parking space, right? And then you go, motorcycle, damn, right? But what's great about it is... You know, some of the more advanced parking lots, they have, you know, this floor full, go to the next floor, right? This all very efficient ways to get you to that parking space. So you got to think of, of women, they're nuts, right? You know, they're, they're posing virtually topless with, with a kid in the background, right? I mean, it's like, it's not, it's, it, it's, it's easy. It's like, oh, parking lot, parking, go to the next level. This parking space, keep going. They're, they're, whereas in the past, you know, like, you maybe would have all these women, they're just really nicely, they look really conservative, they go to church, but they're crazy. But, but they're well camouflaged. There's no camouflage anymore. The crazy women are right there. And, and the solid sane women are presenting themselves not in that way. Like you couldn't ask for a more efficient sorting mechanism. People are complaining that there are too many crazy women. And it's like, no, that's good. I mean, it's not good that there are too many crazy, but if you're looking for a sane woman, pretty easy to find. Keep walking so, past all the crazy like, ones, feel, right? It, maybe it's uh, like I'm, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty attractive and I'm intelligent and, and I make a lot of money and stuff. So I have an easier time than some of my other, you know, friends and stuff. But I feel like a lot of women just have these insane high standards. Like, okay, Cupid uh, put out a uh, thing that 80% of women rated men as below average, which is statistically impossible. Sure. So 80% of them are unattractive. And, and men Spoiler, women bad at math. <laughs> Sorry, yes, go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, what I'm getting is just, I feel like even the, even the, the, the sane women, you know, you know, every woman's at least, you know, too crazy. Even the quote unquote sane women have these ridiculously high standards. So it's so hard for, for, you know, for decent men or, you know, normal no, no, men. No, no, that's perfect. No, that is absolutely perfect, right? Absolutely perfect, right? Not for them. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's perfect. 
Because a woman who has wildly unrealistic standards, you don't want to marry. You know the triple six thing, right? Yes, I have that. <laughs> yeah, six foot tall, makes six figures, six inch dick or more, right? Yes. I think Walker that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so and, and if a woman who is overweight, in debt, unattractive, unappealing, a single mom, if she's like, I'm holding out for the 666, you keep, keep holding out. I, I would advise those women not to lower their standards. I agree. Because that's like, that's delusional. That is delusional. I mean, yeah. it literally is, is like a guy saying, it's, uh, I don't know, who's, who's hot these days? Megan Fox, probably a bit old too, plus she's dating that creep with the gun name. <laughs> um, but who, whoever, whoever's hot these days, I don't know. What is it? Jessica Simpson is back Bell, in her Bell hot Fiend. face. <laughs> who? Bella Delphine, the only fans. Oh, no, uh, but, but she would be completely <laughs> meant to date, right? I mean, she, yeah, she oh, would, she's, she's damaged goods beyond what any, anyone oh, could imagine, right? But, you know, it would be like me saying, um, I'm only going to date Megan Fox. Oh, and I'm only going to date Megan Fox at the age she was at the, in Transformers. <laughs> date Megan Fox from 15 years ago, whatever, right? Right, so uh, whoever it's going to be, I'm only going to date, I don't know, uh, um, Sniper Wolf or, or something like that, right? Okay. So, you know, that this don't settle is, is, a, is, is a test of reproductive fitness. So if a woman is told, you know, you're all that and a slice of ham, you know, you, you, you can be some sort of um, land whale and you can still land a top tier alpha male who's a Bitcoin zillionaire, right? And, and it's, just, it's just an IQ test, right? And the IQ yep. test is, do you have, right? Because we men, when it comes to dating, we're super empirical, right? I mean, every yes. man has the same, same pattern. You, me, everyone. Yep. You start at the top and you work your way down. <laughs> Right? right, you start at the top and you work your way down until. And I started at the top. Absolutely, first girl I asked out was the most popular girl in school, prettiest, most yep. popular girl in school. Absolutely, totally quit. And then I ended up getting the second most popular girl in school. That's fine. I, you know, that's still pretty good sure. odds for me, right? Sure. So yeah, so so for men, start at the top, work your way down, and we're empirical, right? Uh, yep. you, you start at the top until someone says yes. You just you know, keep going. Okay, slightly less attractive. Slightly, okay, yep. got we got someone right. Uh, and and women, but but we we of course don't have uh, we don't have the same things to offer, right? Because if women can offer up sex, and you know the alpha widow thing, right? Where a woman says, well, you know, I, I get all these triple sixes to date me or sleep with me, so that means I can get one as a husband. It's like, nope, doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> It doesn't mean that at all. And the more she sleeps with people like that, the less likely a good guy's going to want to marry her because I don't want a woman that can't pair bond. <laughs> yes, of course. And any woman who will sleep with you quickly is um, too insecure to be the mother of your children. Like, that's just a basic fact. I mean, we men, we like, at least when I was younger, you know, it's nice if a woman is available, but you're not going to marry her if she has sex with you too quick because she's too insecure. And, and she doesn't There's feel... There's a saying that you know, the women choose who they have sex with and the men choose who they marry, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Women control access to sex. Men control access to relationships. It's a total ripoff of Kevin Samuels, but it's a, it's a point worth, worth repeating, right? And so... Uh, and a, a woman who, who offers up sex too quickly just holds herself in, in very low regard. And, and, and look, I sympathize. I really do. Because, again, 
I'm not blaming women for the effects of propaganda. And the reason there's so much propaganda is because there's a government, right? And so I, I don't want to, but I mean, think women know this, right? I mean, this is all the way back to that old song, you know, will you still love me tomorrow? <laughs> right, tonight, the night of love is in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Or I, I remember watching um, a movie when I have an old Goldie Horn movie called Private Benjamin, you know, and, and it's like, he, he said he loved me. He said he was going to, I was going to be his forever. And, and then what happened? And then he came <laughs> and, then, and then it all went away. Right. I, I get it. Right. And so, uh, yeah, the don't settle. It's just, yeah, keep, keep your standards high. Yeah. Let yourself gain weight. Keep your standards high. Dress yourself like, uh, uh, a, a banshee from another dimension and, and put the makeup on that makes you look like a clown hit a speed bump, you know, just, just uh, do, do what you need to And I, I, I just don't lower your standards. That's, that's totally fine. You know, because we men, we're just used to, I mean, we have to lower our standards. You know, I say this, you know, and I feel I got the perfect woman, certainly perfect for me. So I, you know, when I felt I couldn't do any better, I put a ring on her and 20 years ago and incredibly happy that I did. This applies to all women but our wives. I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know what to say. If, if someone – and, uh, you know, there is – you know, there's, there's just, there are just a lot of unattractive people out there these days. I was talking about this in a live stream the other day. Like, it was a, a premium live stream. If you want to pick it up for a couple of bucks a month, you can get the premium stuff at uh, freedomain.locals.com. But – Will do. Yeah, there, there's just – there's a lot of people out there that nobody really wants. And, and it's, it's really sad. You know, it's like that old Beatles song, Ellen Rigby, right? Look at all the lonely people. There are a lot of people out there. They don't really have much to offer. They don't have really much that differentiates them themselves. And particularly women, they've tried to conform themselves into being attractive. But then there's nothing individual about, enough about them to love. Like the NPC thing. Okay, now everyone approves of you and, and nobody's mad at you. And, and uh, you know, everyone nods and, and gives you kudos for having a Ukrainian flag in your bio as if history just started this year. So nobody really disapproves of you. Everyone gives you these likes and rainbows, and, and, but, but nobody loves you because you're not individual enough to be differentiated from the general horde. Right? I, mean, uh, I you, support you, the current thing. Yeah, I support that. So if you, you open up a box of eggs and they all look the same, do you have a favorite egg? No. And, and if people are just supporting the current thing, lacking propaganda, okay, they gain... The, the benefit of not being disapproved of or being criticized by anyone, really. But they've also given up love. They've given up being individual and authentic enough that you can choose them from somebody else. The, the, the conformity thing, it, it's, it's such a drug. It's because it gives you this relief in the moment, but it costs you everything in the long run. This, and again, it's just an IQ test. Can you, can you put off can you defer the gratification, right? So I say, okay, well, I might be disapproved of, but if I can never be disapproved of, I can never really be approved of, and love is the final approval, right? Love is the final approval of someone. I approve of you so much, I love you until we're going to die, right? And so uh, that's the MPC thing, man, and nobody talks to them about this, really. Nobody talks to them and says, okay, you can, you can do all of the current thing stuff, and you'll get this cheap, it's like pornography for the soul, right? You spill your seed, but you don't raise any kids, right? And, and you, can, you, you can get this relief and, and, and have people say stunning and brave and how wonderful you are and this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, but, 
but no one's going to be no no one is going to be able to love you it's not that no one will love you or you will be un, like it's impossible to love you if you conform because there isn't enough you there to love it's like you know the macs come off in an assembly line and you don't love a particular mac because they're all the same you can't say, oh, of these million Macs, that's the one I choose. No, it's just give me a Mac, right? And they're all interchangeable, right? It's just a thing. And if you don't have your own thoughts and your own opinions, there's not enough of you there to love physically. Like, it's impossible to do it. You know, they, they can, people can fake it if they want. They can give you approval. They can like your Instagram, blah, or whatever, right? But it's really, really tragic how much you give up through conformity. And, but, of course, it is a drug, and it's an IQ test. So I hope that, I hope that helps. Yes. And then one last question. This will be quick. Um, do you do any in-person meetups at all? Or do you, are there any events you're going to in the next year or so? I'd love to meet up with you in person or go to an event you're attending. Uh, it, it, uh, no. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean a lot. I don't have any in-person uh, meetups. Um, uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's just physically risky for the attendees and very expensive in terms of the security. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's my them, it's yeah. my time in the wilderness, uh, and uh, it's great to chat with you guys, and and to chat with you in particular. Um, it's wonderful to hear about your family and all of that. Yeah, I heard big shiny forehead con is in town. Yeah, I see a lot of people think I am what grifter con and all that. So, uh, all right. Well, thanks very much. I'm just going to see. Thanks, I'll do. Again, I can do. Yeah, Thank you very much. A great pleasure to chat with you. Congratulations again. All right, Amber. Amber. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Kermit, if you want to unmute, I can take one more question before we close things down. Great, to, great pleasure to chat with you guys today. Just wanted to remind you of that. But uh, Amr, if you wanted to, AMR, if you wanted to unmute yourself, I believe I, yeah. Go ahead. Hey, Steph. Hi. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm a little bit starstruck right now. Oh, well, uh, that's very kind. But uh, I, honestly, I feel that every day when I look in the mirror. I'm just kidding. No, I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, what's on your mind? <laughs> Uh, well, I um, I wrote it in the chat earlier, but I'll just uh, say it again. Um, yeah, I um, recently got tapped for like a big. I'm so position, sorry. Could like you a- just stop rustling? Your mic is crackling and rustling. It drives me a little batty. So if you could just like hold still or not touch your mic or whatever, that'd be great. But go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. Yeah, I got tapped for a new job. I've been freelancing um, for the past eight months, almost. And no, I'm uh, still getting the mic thing, man. Whatever, just put put whatever you're doing, put it down and don't touch it. Sorry to be annoying, but I just we, we don't even concentrate on what you're saying. But go ahead. How about now? I'm sure that's going to be fine. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. So I was freelancing for about eight months, and then I got tapped for uh, a job by one of my one of the people that have been contracting me. So right now I'm going through the negotiations and it's all looking really fine, but I've been kind of uh, contemplating before I sign the paperwork and kind of make it all official and binding uh, what I'd be giving up because as a freelancer, um, I have all this flexibility, like time. I can decide when I want to work, how much I want to work. I also have the option of like traveling and remote working um yeah and uh but this new job i would be um made into a ceo of a new company a startup and uh kind of take on all the responsibility therein um so i i just wanted to see if i can get your thoughts on that 
What phase of life are, are you in? Married, kids, dating? 29, single. I I don't date anymore. Um, it's I don't, I don't view it as a good use of my time with the with the dating landscape as it as it is at the moment. Um, I don't know how how frank do you want me to be? <laughs> you tell me one to ten. Oh, please, yeah, yeah, just give me everything. Okay, I mean, why would I care about your future if you don't really have one? As far as offspring and dating and marriage. Because then it's just like, okay, should I just for myself gather or not these resources? Okay, but for what, right? I mean, if you're not going to have kids, then, you know, I know some people can't, so I sympathize with all of that. But what would it really matter what you choose to do if you're not going to be continuing as, as a, a life form? Right. Oh, I'm, I'm super interested in getting married and having kids. It's just that the environment that I'm in at the moment, it just doesn't seem to me like there are are any interesting prospects around me um i i live in germany um and um yeah i i, I just the don't feel like there's a lot of uh, good uh, uh, come on i mean there, the there are a lot of free thinkers in germany i don't mean to tell you about your country but you know i've read the news there's there's massive protests against government overreach there's uh, you know significant skepticism against a lot of government mandates and so on right so there is a lot of uh, of free thinkers in Germany, at least people, women, and I see a lot of women in the marches too, right? Willing to think for themselves and question dogma and so on. Sure. I mean, it's not like I don't go out there and, and put myself out there. Um, if anything, I, I got the impression that I was doing that a little bit too much in the previous years, that it just felt a bit alienating to me. And then I decided to focus more on just... Uh, like taking a break from dating, taking a break of, from focusing on um, pursuing women to first get my own. See, when I, last year, um, I set a goal for myself that I would try to double my income by the age of 30, which I kind of managed. That was when I was 28. and I'm, I Well, congratulations on that. That's that not easy. So well done. But go ahead. And... Uh, succeed at, at things that I put my mind to um, just not with women and when was your last serious relationship um, I don't think I've had a serious relationship uh, I think I've had stuff that came close I mean I had my last relationship was a little, over a year ago over a year and a half ago and it lasted for about four months, and then she moved away, and she didn't seem interested in like neither of us were interested in long long distance relationship, and she didn't seem interested in having a serious relationship anyway. And how old was she? Uh, Nineteen at the time, and I was twenty seven. Right. Okay. So she's not desperate for kids, or like she's not pushing thirty and. You know, aiming to yeah. settle down or anything, right? Right. Yeah. My last, my my, my most serious relationship before that uh, was with somebody who was a bit too intense and domineering, and I got too much of that growing up from my mother. So I I I kind of put an end to that very quickly. 
And uh, your parents' relationship? How did that? How did that go between them? Oh, it's a disaster. It's. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you ever seen Rick and Morty? I uh, know. No. Okay. Well, uh, I was gonna say my dad is Jerry. So uh, um, anyway, my, I um, they've been divorced ever since I was eighteen. As soon as I moved out, I have an older brother. So as soon as we both moved out, they just immediately divorced. My mom kicked my dad out. Um, and um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. Ask me, ask me more specific questions because I'm getting... I, what was wrong with their relationship? Um, well, I think he was uh, too uh, conflict-averse and too uh, conflict-avoidant. And she's very domineering and angry and uh just yelling all the time well he may not be conflict avoidant he just may be abuse avoidant yeah also yeah um i totally agree yeah a domineering german uh, yeah. mother gosh i'm waiting for you to break these no, stereotypes no, 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 no. but uh go on no 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 she, she's she's not german i'm actually an immigrant so i'm i'm actually egyptian i'm born and raised in egypt and i moved oh dominating egyptian mother okay i'm not sure that's really breaking <laughs> yeah. the stereotype even more but all right all right, all right. All right. yeah i uh, we say like muslim egyptian mothers are like uh, the stereotypical jewish mother in like a mel brooks film <laughs> right um, yeah, I mean, she uh, she earned more money than him by pure coincidence. He's a professor. She worked for a bank, and then just uh, by virtue of how the Egyptian economy kind of went, um, they just, uh, you know, she ended up making much more money than he did. And then um, would I, I think that's one of the main reasons why they had so much conflict throughout their marriage. Um, well, I don't know about that. I mean, that's that's saying that you know, like the base mammal brain of hypergamy runs everything. You know, there are there are there are happy marriages where the woman makes more money. There's, I hope so. Uh, um, well, oh, so so that's probably hang on. That's probably one of the main reasons why you want to make a lot of money, right? As you maybe saw or imagined, that how things played with your dad and and didn't want the same situation. Possibly. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, for me, money represents a lot of things, uh, uh, mostly financial independence from them, because actually money is kind of a big sticking point in the family. I mean, my, an example of that is my older brother who's, who's married and he lives in a, in a house which my mom bought him, um, which is kind of reg normal for Egyptian, the Egyptian way of doing things that people usually get their first house paid for by their parents. Um, well, yes, the house but it costs you later, right? Legally, right? Yeah. It, well, it costs him now because she, the house is still legally in his name, and so whenever he's not towing her line, oh yeah, she implies or threatens to kick him out of. His, well, and of, of course, his, when uh, you when your parents get old, where are they going to go? <laughs> oh yeah, no, she has her own house. Uh, oh no, when she gets too old to like when she gets old, old, right, and she needs care or right. supervision or whatever right yeah yeah i mean there's a i mean there's nothing wrong with that but it shouldn't be because you know i bought you a house now you have to take me in it's straight up uh, yeah. bartering right okay. i mean i definitely i definitely think a lot about when you when in your 
in your story when you you know cut ties with your parents and um i i usually think about if it's if it's the right thing for me to do because i get sick of both of their bullshit right um i was i was uh on vacation uh and well, I, it wasn't vacation. I just stayed in Egypt for like three and a half months earlier this year, which was the first time I stayed this long for in 10 years. The first month and a half, my dad didn't call me or take my calls or even meet with me. And my mom, I got into a fight with her and and I was staying with her at the time and we didn't talk to each other for two months. It was like living in a shared apartment where you're kind of not talking with with that person. Wait, you were roommates with your mom? Yeah. Huh. Having trouble finding a good well, woman, are you? <laughs> Please, come no, live I with mean, me and my I, overbearing mom. Hey, where are you going? Why are you moving away? Oh, oh. Why don't you want to do a long distance? Ah! <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's not... I, I have my own place in Germany, which is where I live all the time. I just wanted to escape the lockdown madness over the past winter and also just get some sun so i i went back for three months and i just stayed with her for for three months um and i was still doing my remote working from there and taking the opportunity to visit family because if i'm gonna go back to egypt i'm not gonna stay at a hotel or buy an apartment that i'm only gonna use one month out of the entire year but yeah anyway i Maybe that's neither here or there. Right. Right. Well, I mean, do you want um, to get married and have kids or? Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. All right. As many as I can get. Um, I, yeah. But you, I, but I don't, you, know. don't I, I think... you don't have any experience dating, right? I mean, would you, would you hire well, someone? I... Would you hire someone, if you're CEO, would you hire someone for a job who had no experience? Um, probably as an intern. Yeah, but not not for any significant, job, not yeah. for any position of significance, no. right? Okay, so you no. so you you're pushing thirty, and you have no experience with successful relationships. So yeah. this is a this is a crisis. Well, I don't know what a successful relationship looks like. I mean, I've been in relationships before, and, oh, yeah, and I get they it. went I, I, well I, enough. We're, hang on, we're we're agreeing here, so right. let's not spend time on things that we agree on, right? So, All right. Okay. Because you got to look at this from a woman's standpoint. From a woman's standpoint, mm -hmm. you're going to ask a woman to commit to you, to have babies with you, to 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 depend upon you, to and and you have no experience with successful relationships. Well, I mean, nobody has successful experiences with relationship until they get married right well no i i get that okay let me let me put it to you this another way would you hire someone who had worked only intermittently and the longest time they'd ever worked at a place was four months um probably not I'll take this. Come on, of course you wouldn't. Longest, no, no. If if you were, if if this if, if somebody hang on, if somebody wanted to work at your company, and they had not worked in a long time, they'd worked very intermittently, and the longest time they'd ever worked for anyone was four months. You would not hire them, and and if you would hire them, you shouldn't be a CEO. Yeah, yeah. All right. Can we can we at least True. agree on that? Because well, yeah, they, sure. they're either lazy or they're inconstant or they don't need to work or they don't want to work or they don't take instruction or they, right, they quit at the first sign of difficulty. So you're going to hire that person, you're going to train them, and then they're just going to leave, right? 
So you understand yeah. on the dating market, you, you're thinking about things like a job, right? Like you think professionally, you're very sensible and make good decisions, right? But on the dating market, yeah. you've got to think of it in economic terms. Now, let's say um, somebody had worked at a place for two years and then it didn't work out, right? Okay, well, they at least worked someplace for two years and they, they're able to handle that level of, of job and commitment and this, that, and the other, right? Yeah. But if you have almost no experience in dating and you certainly have no experience in any kind of successful relationship, right? Then the only thing that well, my, knows for sure is that you have uh, a track record of, of almost total failure. And if you think about that in terms of a job, the fact that you're 30 and you've only ever, quote, worked at a place for four months and you haven't worked in years or forever, right? That's a huge negative. So that's yeah, what I mean, I mean by I'll, saying I'll, it's a crisis. I'll, I'll just take this opportunity to tell you that my longest relationship was, uh, I think, between two and a half and three years. So that was Okay, uh, why, was and a when, while ago. how old were you then? I was, um, let's see, 23, probably. So it was like from the age of 23 to about 26. And why did, why did that end? Um, well, I just um, didn't feel like the person I was with marriage material. Uh, and also, I wasn't, um, you know, independent from, you know, I was still in university. I still didn't have enough resources to even manage a marriage. So it was... Uh, okay, okay. So if if someone came to you for a job and they said... right. I did three years of a business degree before finding out I didn't want to be in business. I didn't want to be in the business world. What would you think of that person? Well, I think that person was uh, probably not very serious. Well, it just means they didn't know themselves very well. Now, I, I know that I'm giving you kind of a I contradiction. I agree with that. No, I, I know that you, I'm giving you kind of a contradiction, yeah. which is like, well, you know, if you don't have much, if you only have the longest relationship is four months, that's bad. But if your longest relationship is three years, that's bad too. Because what yeah, you need, now you could say, like if, if somebody was in, I've interviewed like a thousand people and hired like a hundred people, right? So if somebody came into my office and said, you know, I did three years of a business degree. And then let me tell you, just... I happened to be with a friend of mine who was going for an audition and I ended up being in the theater world and I loved the theater world. I ended up being really good at that and then I spent five years as an actor, right? So that's a good reason why you didn't finish a business degree. You found something out of the blue that you were much more passionate about. Does this sort of make sense? Yeah. So the equivalent in dating would be, oh yeah, no, I dated someone for, you know, two or three years and I thought that it was a good relationship. But then I met this woman, just, she just blew my mind. I just realized I'd been playing real small, real safe, real inconsequential for a long time. And I just completely, it opened, you know, my heart grew three, thighs, three, three sizes when I met her. And yeah, so you, if you don't have a good reason, right? If it was just like, well, you know, I was there for three years and it just kind of petered out. She wasn't really marriage material and so on. That's, you got to have a good reason why a woman's going to trust you. Right, And if you have a, yeah. a history of, of drifting out of relationships after a couple of years, then she's going to look at that and she's going to say, holy crap. So he could be with me for two or three years. And then he might just find me not marriage material. Or Now, that's different when you're 22 than when you're 30. 
because a woman doesn't have time to burn when she's 30. So you better know exactly why things went wrong and how you can fix that and how it's not going to happen again if you want to date a woman close to your age who's got half a brain. Does that make sense? That does make sense. I mean, in general, I would say it's it's also not something that's lost on me that I have a certain pattern of uh, being the one who's uh, um, moves on quickly from relationships. Um, right. right. Yeah. So so I don't. I don't. Know, I can't. Right. Put... So I I had you know when I met my wife I had a good reason as to why I was trustworthy. You know, I just had people in my life that weren't great for me. And there was pretty good reasons why they weren't great for me. I'm, you know, I've gone to therapy. I've dealt with all that stuff. I'm ready to commit. Like, I've got a story. Yeah. And it wasn't just a story. Like, why, why would you trust me? I'm still single right. in my 30s. I'm a good-looking guy. I'm charismatic. I had some success in the business world. Like, why am I still single? It's a good question, right? Too good to be true, right? Too good to be true. Well, so, in general, I... Go ahead. Was was that question rhetorical? Or is no, no, I'm just saying that you're going to need, oh. and when I say story, I don't mean something that's, I don't mean fiction, right? I, I mean a narrative right? as to, look, here's why, although I just got bored of a woman after three years, here's why that's not going to happen with you. I've learned so much about right. myself. I've done therapy. I've done self-work. I've done, whatever it is, right? You don't have to well, worry have. about me. Okay, good. Well, then, then, then you've got to really be aware of that. Because I'm telling you, if, if you're, you're, the reason you're not, I would guess, right? The reason you're not finding quality women is that you're a high-risk candidate for a woman. Now, you're a high-appeal candidate, right? You're smart. You're, you're you know, obviously uh, eloquent. You're um, uh, successful. You're, you're, you're well-off, right? So, yeah, there's a lot there. But a woman needs to know that you have the capacity to truly commit to her. Right? Right. And you have no evidence of that for her. As far as I can tell, listen, we just met, so I mean, I could be completely wrong about yeah. this. But you need to, a woman can sense this. Women's, women's yeah. intuition is incredibly attuned as to whether a man is going to stick around because women who made mistakes about that didn't tend, generally tend to do very well during our evolution, Right. Yeah. So you got to you got to give off a vibe. Like you, you it's great that you're successful and and you know great that you doubled your income in a year or two. I don't know if you heard me say congratulations. That's really tough. Like good for oh, you. Well done. Fantastic. You. That's amazing. Good. 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 But if you're doing that to be more attractive to women, you're missing something. I think with all due respect, I, I think you're missing that the woman needs to know that you are emotionally ready to truly commit. And if you don't know what went wrong in the past and you've just avoided dating and your last relationship was four months and then you drifted out of love or after a couple of years in your early 20s, you know, because for a woman, she's going to say, okay, well, why wasn't that the woman you m marry, right? I mean, you, you, you were together for a couple of years and in your first couple of years of dating, you were with this woman. What happened? She said, well, we just kind of drifted apart. She's like, oh, no, I don't have three years to burn to find out. And it could be four years for this. Then he drifts apart or thinks I'm not marriage material right. or whatever, right? you got to know exactly well, why things went wrong and how you fixed it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that has happened recently, I think one general thing in kind of the last, um, let's say, before the last three years, something, I, I was lost. Like, I didn't have my ideals set. Um, I was dealing a lot with my own issues. And so 
a lot of the women that I've dated there were either people that I've met who, um, let's say, weren't really interested in having that sort of relationship, or I was attracting, you know, psychos. Uh, maybe that's a bit harsh, but or let's say just say some people who kind of play you off know, of my no, own. No, you got to uh, reframe that. Sorry, yeah, you got to yeah. reframe that. No, you weren't attracting psychos. You were vulnerable to psychos, likely because of your parents, particularly your mom. Maybe, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if you're wounded um, and you, you, if you, somebody hits you hard, and I remember being at, at a summer camp and dancing with a woman, a girl. I was a kid, right? I was like 14 or whatever, right? And I was dancing with a girl, and a friend of mine, quote friend, came by and gave me a chart, like he just whacked me hard in the leg so that it was really hard for me to slow dance with this girl. I guess he was petty and jealous or whatever, right? And so I wasn't just uh, attracting the floor. I was like wounded and falling down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you weren't just attracting psychos. You were vulnerable to unstable women because of your mom, right? And once you deal with your mom yeah. in whatever fashion that is, then you won't be vulnerable anymore and they won't be around. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's a whole other issue like my no and i get that and, and this is mind. why you know i'm always a big fan of talk therapy and you've certainly got the resources to do it but if i were in your shoes like i don't know whether you should be ceo or not but i i do know that i want you to be a dad i do know that right i mean i obviously everybody who's interested in philosophy i'm very invested in in having kids right i want i guess you know i don't want my daughter to grow up yeah. the only sane person in the universe right and so I'm purely selfish in this, but I think that our interests overlap because, you know, you're a smart guy and you're a wise guy and you're a successful guy and you love philosophy and, and fantastic. Like, let's, let's try. So you got to remove the things that are in the way of you getting married and having kids, if, that's, if, if you want that. And it sounds like you do, right? Of course. Yeah, I, I do feel like, a, uh, I mean, I, the way I see it is that my, let's say my genetic lineage or whatever is not my own to end yeah, yeah. You, we just, saying, you know, we, we're all on loan yeah, from the future, right? It's 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 car we've exactly. borrowed. We don't get to we don't get to drive a car into the ground when we're renting it, right? So exactly. Uh, so here's did, the thing. Uh, well, Sorry, go ahead. Well, one one major shift in my life, and that's actually been a, a big battle for me for the past, um, let's say, four years, is that I was very addicted to marijuana. Mm. Um, throughout my university. I mean, university is just a cesspool and it's so widely accepted here in Germany. that. And you could say addicted to marijuana. Again, the reframing could be, I ended up self-medicating for trauma using marijuana. Oh yeah, that that is, I was self-medicating and right. um, I, I kicked it uh, more than a year ago now. I, I, I also, last year I got baptized as a Christian. So I, I was... I grew up Muslim. I became an atheist around the age of 17 or 18, stayed that way. And then I got, you know, I got into Jordan Peterson in 2017 once he started getting in on the scene and that kind of got me interested. And I joined up with a local church eventually. What a uh, journey. Okay. So, so let me yes. ask you this. So you, you want a nice Christian wife, right? Yeah. Okay. Nice Christian wife meets your mom. Oh, no. Uh, that's a bad idea. Well, she's isn't she going to nice Christian girlfriend? I mean, meet I, your mom and, and you say, wanna, Hey, we can have 40 years mom. with her. <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay, so, so I, that's uh, your look. I, I hate that this is your choice. I really do. I hate that this is your choice. I wish your mom was someone that you would be proud and happy 
you know, I, I hope when my daughter starts dating, that I, she's I going to be I proud and her. happy to introduce her boyfriends to me and all that, and, and, and her mom and all. I hope that that's going to be the case. I'm sure it will be. But So I'm sorry that you have this choice. But if it is, if it is a stark choice, right, if this is your choice, which is I either have a future with a good woman or I can hang out with my mom as she ages, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for your balls here, man. I really am, right? I mean... What do your future children need, right? Do they because they're not going to be around, probably, or at least I doubt they'll be around if your mom is going to make a good woman say regretfully, "Hey, he's a nice guy, but I can't spend forty years with that woman," especially when she's going to move in when we get older. Oh right? no, yeah, right. So if, if and this was this was my choice, right? So I don't want to say this is everyone's choice, but I think it should be stated as clearly and objectively as possible, right? My, my life is certainly no recipe for everyone else, right? I think there are some good principles involved, but uh, there's no photocopying called identity, right? But for me, the choice was, okay, I did not choose to have my mother in my life. She is very dysfunctional and destructive and violent and anti-rational. And if I have a choice between being a slave to the past I did not choose or carving a future for myself that I respect. In other words, if the choice is between my mother and a quality wife. I got to tell you, I, maybe I would have been a better person if there'd been more hesitation. But once I got it that clearly, it wasn't even difficult. Yeah. I mean, I see that play out in my brother's life. I mean, he, he got married uh, last year and my mom has been making his life hell with his wife all sorts of well ways. yeah okay now i would making your life hell you're used to that right the problem is and and the problem is though she's making your your brother's wife's life hell my right? brother's life yeah and, and the, yeah. the wife's life hell and that's where he's really going to pay now she oh, chose yeah. right she chose to get involved in this family situation but a woman of quality a woman of discernment and wisdom will look at your family situation and say He's a nice guy, man. He's really successful, smart, good-looking. But, oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a thing to be walking into. How, how am I going to spend 40 yeah. years biting my tongue? Like, if he's, if he's going to have to – here's, here's the question. Look, this is, this is a question. This is for all the men out there and for the women too, for God into you. This is the big question. The wife, your, your future wife potential, right? Your girlfriend is, or your future wife potential. She's going to look – and she's going to say, what happens to him if his mother puts all her pressure on him? If, her, if his mother wants something and his mother puts all of her pressure on him, what's going to happen? Because if she's a good woman, she's not going to pressure you or bully you or manipulate you or anything like that, right? So she's going to say, okay, am I going to be disarmed with somebody who's got the nuclear option because it's a mom who'll manipulate. And a mom who'll manipulate is virtually un uh, irresistible to kids because we just grew up conforming to that and she's an authority figure that will never fade, right? And, uh, or yeah. it'll fade a little bit, it doesn't ever end, right? So your, yes. your, your future wife, your wife-to-be is going to look at you and say, okay, who's he gonna, is he going to choose me or his mom if she really puts the pressure on? Right. Let's say his mom gets old and frail. She wants to move in. I don't want her to move in. Who's going to win? Because if you are going to bend to your mom, in other words, if your mom is going to be more manipulative, more successful at controlling you than your wife, 
who as a good woman won't control or manipulate you, she's going to look at that and say, I'm going to lose every time. He is a mama's boy. She's going to run the, she's going to run the show and I'm going to lose. And then I'm going to lose my respect for him. I'm going to lose my desire for him because you need to be the leader in your household. Now, the woman needs to be the leader too, not always the same things and so on, but she needs to look up to you just as you need to look up to her. And if she had some crazy father who, you know, every time he snapped his fingers, she'd come running and, and she'd just abandon her family and do whatever he wanted and so on, you would say, I don't have any particular reliability or stability in my marriage because we've got crazy people running the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I have the big advantage that I live um, on a different continent than her. So, but it's true. Like she does uh, manipulate me or attempt that. In, well, yeah, but I mean, relocation can happen anytime. That's true. Your mom, I mean, your she mom, you, you, you listen. To visit me and, I'll tell you, like my, my mom, yeah. she, she moved to the other end of the country. Well, actually, we kind of got her to move to the other end of the country. And I'm telling you, one day, I pick up the phone, and she says, I'm at the mall across the street. It can happen like that. Yeah, yeah. my mom did that once just to fuck with me. She called me, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm waiting downstairs, and I right. opened the door for me. Right. And then it turned out she wasn't there, but I got really upset with her. And then oh, she, she just got messed with, with your head that way? The, yeah, she likes to fuck with me like that. That's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, okay, now, so, so is, 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 is a quality, is a quality woman, is she going to want to get on that ride? No, no right. not at all. So this is, you know, it, look, if you, if you want to not stray too far from your, quote, roots or whatever, which I guess, given your religious conversion, is, is kind of already a done deal. But I would say that um, uh, the, the woman you want to marry is going to be wise, smart, perceptive enough to map her entire future with your current family of origin. And if, if it's a choice, look, I hope it's not, and maybe therapy will work that out, but you can talk to your mom or whatever. But I just tell you, from my standpoint... It wasn't even, it wasn't even a tough call. It was like, okay, if I, it, 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 I knew the kind of women I was getting when my mom was in my life. <laughs> I already had that down yeah. pat. I knew that one for sure. And then the woman I was able to get with my mom not in my life. Oh my god, I've been with her for twenty years. How did you rip the bandaid off, or did you just up and disappear? No, no, I didn't up and disappear. No, I would never recommend that myself. I mean, it, it, I, I sat down had. Long conversations with my family. Yeah. Sat down with my mom on multiple occasions. Said, look, here's my issues. Here's what's going on. Here's, where, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. What are we going to do? Here's what I remember. Mm. And yeah. I sat across from her in her apartment. And I saw that look come into her eye, that cunning look. Shit, I'm caught. What can I get away with? Nothing to do with what was best for me. Nothing to do with any kind of sacrifice. Well, what, what can I admit to without getting into too much trouble? How can I get out of this without admitting too much? But if I don't admit anything, then I could be in, I could lose him. Just that calculation, that calculation that some people have, which has nothing to do with ethics, but what can I get away with, right? If the security camera's off, they'll shoplift. If it's on, they won't, right? It's just circumstances and survivability. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I had multiple conversations. I, of course, was in therapy for three hours a week and, and you know, really working hard with a therapist. So, uh, no, I, I think the ghosting stuff is, you know, if there's any chance to have a conversation um, and, and any chance to salvage things or any chance to know exactly what's going on or why, I think that's, that's well worth pursuing, if that makes sense. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did try to have certain conversations. I started with the small stuff, actually. Uh, but I always get these incredibly violent or manipulative reactions. Like, okay, like okay. So, so you say, I would like to have a conversation, right? And if you get these violent or manipulative reactions, so what, what are the consequences of, of her being violent with you? I usually withdraw and I just don't uh, like, so um, I have two examples. One where I, where I, uh, no, but you're still in a relationship with her, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to skip past the details, but what I'm saying is that if, if she can just be violent towards you and you still stay in a relationship with her, then obviously she doesn't have an internal moral standard that says don't be violent with people. So if she doesn't have the internal standard and there are no negative external consequences, not, the behavior will not change. I guarantee you, absolutely, the behavior will not change. It's like a rock bouncing down a hill. If nothing interferes with its path, it'll just bounce to the bottom. It's physics. Like if people don't have internal moral standards and there are no negative external consequences, their behavior will continue. Guaranteed, absolutely. They would never, it would be insane to think it wouldn't because that would be like, yeah. I don't know, random motion in the brain or something like that just completely replaced the personality. So if it's working for her, it, she will continue to do it. Yeah. I think I'm the first person in my entire family, so that also includes extended family like uncles and aunts and so on, to just stand up to her um, at various points. Now, it might not be at the level that you just described, um, but well, you're you're pushing back. Happened. You're pushing back, but there are no absolutes, right? So for me, it's like, well, nobody gets to raise their voice at me. Like nobody gets to call me names. Nobody gets to raise their voice at me in my life, right? I mean, yeah, the internet's a different matter. <laughs> I can't control that, but I can control who's in my life, right? And these are just the standards. They're not unreasonable standards. I don't like. I don't say nobody can ever criticize me or anything. Yeah. Totally reasonable standards. You can't yell at me, and you can't call me names. Obviously, can't right. hit me or anything. So these are totally reasonable standards. You know, these are standards I have at work. You don't scream at people and call them names, right? It'd be crazy, right? They're totally reasonable standards. And if people don't want to conform to those standards, they're perfect. You know, it's free will, man. Perfectly free to do that, but not with me. Not in my vicinity. Like uh, being in my presence is a privilege. Just as me being in the presence of other people I respect is a privilege, I don't just take that for granted or think it's just people can do whatever the hell they want. You've got to have standards, right? You, have, you would have them in business, right? If you have a salesman who doesn't sell anything, right? Or if you have a salesman who abuses your customers, you don't keep them in the company, right? And I don't keep people in my company, not my business, but me in my personal life. No, they said just, you know, you can, no, you can't yell at me. No, you can't. I mean, ideally, you know, loyalty and, and all the things that I think I provide in, in a relationship and so on. But you just got to have those basic standards. And uh, if people don't want to conform to them, they're perfectly free to not do that. But, I mean, yeah. for myself, I'm not going to have someone in my life who yells at me, calls me names, or is abusive or violent. What the fuck would I... I mean, I had to have that when I was a kid, because I was a kid. Now I'm a man. Full-grown man, right? Why on earth would I let something continue that's horrible and negative when I have a choice? I mean, I had to when I was a kid, because I had no choice in the family I was born into. But as an adult... The whole point of becoming an adult is to have your own standards, not have them imposed by, by circumstance. All right. Listen, I'm going to stop here because I have, I'm afraid to have another thing coming up. So 
th- th- this, you know, well, uh, th- no, listen, I mean, I appreciate the question about your job and, and obviously I, I, you know, that that's a choice that to me would be less pressing than how am I going to become a dad? How am I going to become a husband? How am I going to become a family man? And to me, I mean, I love family life. So I love being a dad. I love being a husband. I love monogamy. I love marriage in ways I could barely even express. And for me, the choice to be with crappy people from my past or glorious people in my present, I'm just really glad I made the choice that I did. So I would strongly recommend thinking about that for people as a whole. And um, if you need any other, you know, if you meet someone and, and you want to talk about it, I'm obviously available and would be happy to chat. So thanks everyone so much. A great pleasure to chat. A great honor to have these conversations with you. I really appreciate the trust and uh, have yourselves a wonderful afternoon. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Please help out the show. <laughs> it would be very nice after two years of no donation pitches. It would be very, very nice. So thank you everyone so much. Have yourself a wonderful afternoon slash evening. I'll talk to you soon.